This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Karankwa, and Hohokam people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, a.k.a. the Blazing Blur. The busiest mixed race, bi-gender, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, and two-time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award-winning podcaster in this podcasting game. What a disaster. <laughs> I haven't been coughing like all morning, and as soon as I sit down to record my intro, I have just coughing fit after coughing fit. It is, I'm completely out of breath right now, and now my voice has changed, like, I, I just want to record this intro. I've been trying for like 45 minutes. <laughs> this is the worst. So I'm going to have to like keep cutting out coughing and just try to push through, because who knows if I'm even going to have a voice in the next hour if I keep going. But it's the last episode of 2022, and I just want to get my intro recorded. Oh my gosh, this is ridiculous. Okay, this is episode 192, and <laughs> it's supposed to be the last episode of 2022, because it is December, and I'm supposed to be on my mental health hiatus, which I do three times a year in April, August, and December. This sounds like a disaster. It, uh, it's hysterical to me. I don't, I literally, no coughs all day. I'm sick and I hit record. Oh, what a nightmare. Okay, my guest today is working on a project that I'm so excited about as Militantly Mixed, the podcast, but as Charmaine, I'm like doubly more interested in it because it incorporates part of the mix that I come from, but in a different way. So I'm really excited about the perspective, and I'm looking forward to, to sharing this story with you. But at the same time, it's the last episode of the year, so there's a few things I need to wrap up with y'all that I'll try to squeeze in as small as possible into this intro to get into today's episode. As y'all know, for the last few months, I've been talking about the GoFundMe fundraiser for Militant Mixed, because over the last year and a half, I've had to dip into personal credit and basically max that out in trying to keep this show going. Uh, because financially, this show has grown past my ability to sustain it on my own. And with the Patreon dipping so much over the last uh, couple years due to COVID and things, uh, it was getting really scary. And I just did not know how to keep it going knowing I would find a way, but that it may not be a podcast going forward. It might be just a YouTube, uh, Instagram, uh, Instagram channel or something. You know, I was, I was trying to find different ways of pulling it off. So I've been talking about the fundraiser. 
for a few months and uh, the fundraiser just is unsuccessful. Uh, I have raised about a hundred dollars if I separate the Patreon stuff from it. I've, I've raised just about a hundred dollars of a six thousand dollar fundraiser, um, which depending on the day that I'm thinking about it and how I'm feeling that day, either is it's a rough time of year to fundraise or makes me feel like my entire self-esteem is being attacked and nobody cares about me or the show and I'm going to die <laughs> because I'm, you know, I don't know, because that's what happens when you suffer from depression and anxiety, I guess, I don't know. So depending on what day it is, sometimes I'm just like, you know, life is tough, there's still a pandemic going on, um, you know, not everybody can just drop money in a fundraiser. Uh, and then I'll see another fundraiser be successful, and I'll be like, oh, well, okay, then it's me. It's definitely me that people don't care about. So I'm like, sw I've swung back and forth, and you may have heard it in some of my intros over the last couple months. But at this point, it just is what it is. Uh, I do have to figure out a way to pay down this debt to be able to keep my finances in order. Uh, but I also have to figure out a way to pay for the show going forward because it's just gotten so expensive, and I just don't have the funds to be able to do it. So I try to be a little transparent about it because I thought that would be helpful, but I think it might just be backfiring and that my transparency is actually making it seem more beggy or woe is me or something. It might be just a real turnoff because um, to compare it to what is happening in my regular personal life, uh, I just had a birthday yesterday and just as a joke, I put up a a tattoo fund for my birthday on my social media and I've gotten so much money from that that I've almost paid off the whole tattoo it's not cheap and some of the people who have donated to that are internet friends that I've never met in person and some of them have donated such a significant amount that it's like it's such a weird investment to me um, they want to help me tattoo my body <laughs> but we have not even had lunch together but in the case of a podcast, which has, you know, four to 6,000 listeners each month, uh, we've raised $100 in two and a half months. So it's really weird. Like, I don't know how to compare those. Things. I don't know how to wrap my brain around those two things. So I, I think I'll just probably stop. I'll, I'll just talk going forward about fundraisers, but I won't talk about the desperation. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. I definitely hate talking about money in general anyway, but uh, I've, I've had to for the last few years for the show. Uh, but one thing that's happened for the show that is amazing is that the Patreon sponsorship has picked up over the last couple months, and it, it's been going up and down. It's been kind of a, a little bit of a roller coaster, but um, I think the lowest we were at, I forget exactly, my, and my brain's not really tuned to it at the moment, but I think it was like 249 or 259 or something around there. It had gotten quite low, and I was getting really nervous. And, and then over the last month or so, it started to pick up so much that we, at the highest point, we got up to 420. It's dropped again. It's, it's at 409. And that's just, it's just so helpful to the expenses that um, I have actively for the show and the past expense of having to start paying down. Um, that, that debt from last year so it's, it's just great and it it's, gets us that much closer to the goal that I've had for the show 
since 2019, which is to achieve a minimum of 500 a month in Patreon sponsorship. And um, I mean, ideally, it would be more than that because then I could like pay for assistance or something like that or eventually pay for myself. But to get to be able to just pay for the bills and a little bit extra, that would be everything. Uh, so that's that's what I'm going to focus on going forward is um, not necessarily the active fundraiser um, near the end of the year. Maybe there's a better time of year to do that. Uh, but to, to really be promoting and pushing the um, the Patreon. Uh, there's the tip jar, paypal.me slash military mix. If you just want to drop, you know, some coins in there every now and then to help out or to, you know, let me know that you like my work one particular episode or another or something like that. Uh, but the Patreon, it's really the bread and butter of the show. And so I'll, I'll continue to, to try to make that a better place to, to be more encouraging um, to help keep the show going. Uh, and then, of course, there are the T-shirts, the Be Your Mix SF T-shirts, the, the logo tees, the Mixed and Hello lines. Uh, I want to start making more efforts and in, in getting better designs out there. I, I've pulled some of the designs that I'm going to put back up or, or get new art for and stuff like that um, because a clothing piece was always something I was interested in doing, but I, I just haven't had the time to be able to stop and focus or I need to reorganize my time a little bit better to be able to do that. So um, that would be the goals going forward is focus more on Patreon, try to get some more T-shirts together, and uh, so for the 2022 Be Here Mixed Self t-shirt, that is still going to be available until the end of the year. So December 31st will be when I pull that down. If you are looking to purchase one of those shirts before the holidays, I think the drop date is like December 11th uh, for the Christmas holiday. Uh, for the other winter holidays, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it lines up, to be honest. I'm, I'm not even 100% sure how it lines up for Christmas, although I think I saw something that said December 11th. Um, I don't often pay attention to the to the uh, holidays, the winter holidays anymore. Um, so, but there are some supply chain issues still globally due to COVID and like legit our international relations, uh, and so deliveries are a little bit slower. So I think they only have soft deadline guarantees now, where they give you like a week range versus an actual it's going to be here by date, um, and that is for the printers of the of those shirts. Uh, so for the 2022 Be Your Mix S Self T-shirt, that'll be available to December 1st, and then that'll that'll be pulled down. Um, I am making a sticker for that, so that'll be available on the website soon as well. And uh, that's all I got to say about those things. But now to get back into today's episode, um, my guest Vicky is, like I said, an animator and is working on an animated documentary for people of uh, Japanese and British heritage living in Britain. And while I do share a portion of this mix in that I am both a Japanese mixed person and a British mixed person, I did grow up here in the United States. And so uh, while I did grow up with my British grandmother living with us on and off um, in my childhood, I'm, I'm still American-born, and um, I'm curious about what the experience is of Japanese-British people, mixed Japanese-British people, uh, knowing what I know about what it's like to be in England. Uh, I've, I've shared a few stories in the past, and I will talk about some in this episode of what I experienced when I'm in England as a mixed brown person with my white British family next to me. Um, and, it, and so I'm, I'm curious about that. I'm really looking forward to seeing the documentary when it does come down the pipe. So just for clarity, though, 
the project that we are discussing, she is in the outreach phase of that project. Um, she is just now connecting with uh, people that saw the post, have reached out to share that they are Japanese and British heritage, they're living in Britain, and they would like to participate. She's in that screening phase um, to get there. So we're not looking for this project to be in completion in the next couple of months, uh, but it's going to be just something that I'm going to want to be plugged into until it comes to um, completion down the, down the line. Uh, but when I saw the post, I was excited, and I reached out to get her on the show because I, I, I want to see what happens with that. Uh, Vicky is a, a real mild speaker, a little quiet, and a little... Um, there are moments in which she expresses being a little unsure because she's so new to actually actively di diving into her mixed-race heritage. It's not like she didn't know she's mixed. She's got a white parent and Japanese parent. She grew up in, in the British country. Uh, side and stuff like that so it's not like she didn't have an awareness it's just that she wasn't in spaces where she was actively talking and actively engaging in mixed community and she's at the very start of that and you can definitely hear it in in our discussion but what I'm really looking forward to while she's progressing in this project with this documentary is um, her finding that community that's going to help continue to build her own confidence in her own mixedness as I talked to everybody about on this show. Um, I've always been pretty actively mixed person, in your face mixed person, and yet I deal with imposter syndrome quite a bit and different things. And, and now that I do the show, I find that I'm, I'm quicker to get over my imposter syndrome um, because of how many conversations with mixed people I have. And I, I'm kind of hoping that and wishing that for, for Vicky as well. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming our last cousin of 2022 to the Militantly Mixed family, Vicki Carr. And unless I get bored um, during the month of December, you won't hear from me again until next year. So Happy New Year, and thank you everybody so much for giving me another year of Militantly Mixed. My life would not be anything remotely to as happy and free as it is now uh, if I didn't have the show. And don't forget to be humans and sinners. Peace out. My guest today is Vicki Carr. Vicki, why don't you introduce yourself to the audience and let's get into it. Hi, um, my name is Vicki. I'm a motion designer. I currently work in London. My mum is Japanese and my dad is from Newcastle in England and I grew up in Kent. So you are actually the very first Japanese and British person that I have met, either monoracial or mixed outside of myself and my brother and my other four cousins that are also black, Japanese, and British, I, I don't know any other. Actually, do I even know any? I don't think I know any other East Asian mixed Brits at all. You're the, you're the first that I've encountered. Yeah. The way I found you is on Instagram, one of the mixed platforms had shared that you were working on a documentary for Japanese and British people and that triggered me immediately because I'm two of those things and so I reached out to you to kind of have a chat and see if we could we could talk a little bit more about it 
So you said you're a motion designer the mm-hmm. and an animator. Do you what what kind of work do you do? Um so I do a lot of um sort of more typography. I do a lot of um social media posts. I do a lot of motion design for cricket. It's quite fun. We try to make cricket as fun as it can be. It is kind of fun but like like the American audience won't understand why it's fun. It's weird. It's what is it? It's as British as it could be because it's it's semi-athletic and super reserved, yeah. but also kind of I don't know. I I've played I've played cricket really? a little. Bit. Really? Mm. I I never actually played cricket, and I I didn't really know how to play till I got the job. Oh really? Yeah. I I've I've had some friends that were um, Indian British. Yeah. And they played, and so they just invited us to play. So it's not like I know how to like really, really play, but I, yeah. you know, played a few times. It's fun. I think it's fun. <laughs> it is, yeah, it looks fun. I, um, the motion design we do normally is like um, there's a sort of new tournament called the Hundred, mm. where we try to make it more sort of aimed at children and sort of like you know the next generation of cricketers. So it's less old white people watching. You know, it's <laughs> more fun. Yeah. So, uh, Fireworks. (laughs) That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. So because of what you do, if I understand correctly, the project that you are going to be working on yourself, the documentary, you're going to be doing it semi-animated or as Um, well? Is that what was in it? Okay. I do want it to be animated. I I think animation is such a big part of British history and Japanese history. So I do want to sort of incorporate that in a way um it's very early stages and i sort of actually had this idea for years i actually wanted it to be my university final Mm. film so i studied animation at uni but i um never got around to actually doing this film i sort of felt like i wasn't the right person to talk about it Mm. i sort of struggled with that oh that's pretty much like the like the siren call for mixed people is <laughs> not feeling like you're the right right person to take that on. I shared with you a little bit before we got going about how long of a process it was to get me from like concept of or you know even title of my show to where I actually started to to think okay I'll just do the show. Um, and now I definitely feel I'm the right person to to do this this show like the way that I do it um, versus anybody else. But um, it takes a long time to like shed off that imposter syndrome in addition yeah. to am I mix you know am I the right mix do I have a big enough access to all of my mixed things so you you and I talked a little bit beforehand about you growing up in the the English countryside and you know maybe not an extremely diverse community where you grew up. the way I've described it to people from my experience of England is once you leave the city you don't really see that many brown people outside uh, outside so can you talk a little bit about what it was like growing up um for you like japanese and and british mix in in the countryside okay um so i grew up in a very small town there was actually i live even in the small town i lived like an hour away from that town so i lived really in the middle of nowhere like Mm. surrounded by fields cows so i went to I actually went to a prep school, which is like a sort of posh primary school. Mm-hmm. Um, and there weren't, there was mostly white people. I was 
I think I remember there was another Japanese girl, but it was like a few years below me in mm. high school. And then secondary school was also like majority white people, but it was a little bit more diverse. And it was in the next town over. Mm. How did your parents come to meet? Like, it's one thing for mixed people to show up in London because there's, you know, mm. it's an international city and everything like that. But how, how did your parents come to, to meet and end up in the, in the countryside with a little mixed daughter? Actually, it's um, quite an interesting story because they actually met in America. Oh, really? So my brother was actually born in America. He was born in Manhattan. And they all they met in Manhattan. I don't know why okay. they moved to England either. Oh, so is your, is your father also not British? No, he is British. Oh, so he is, he, okay. Um, I think after university, I'm not sure how long after, but he moved to New York and he worked there for like 17 years. Oh, wow. Um, and my mum was on holiday in New York. And I, I think, so my dad actually did karate. Okay. And he had a friend who my mum knew, and they he sort of introduced them. And, yeah, so they met in New York, and I think they did, like, a long-distance relationship for a while because, obviously, my mum was just on holiday. And then she eventually moved over, and my brother was born. Hmm. Yeah. And so by the time you came around, they were already living in in England. Yeah, so they moved a year before I was born. We talked a little bit, too, about like how small your Japanese side of the family is and that you, you pretty much just grew up with, with your mom as, as the only Japanese influence. Did she speak Japanese to you, to you and your brother at all growing up? or um, She did speak like some words, like, little phrases but most of the time I was like I I do sort of grow up a bit realize like sorry I'm trying to phrase it I don't know is it like you're trying to be diplomatic about how you say it I'm just trying to so I was talking to my mum about this and she was like you blame me for not learning Japanese and I'm like Mm. no because I understand like I understand how difficult it is being an immigrant coming to England yeah. and raising, you know, children in English schools, it's quite difficult. And I think I was sort of, my brother, he did go to Japanese school and I think he was speaking more Japanese. Mm. And I understand she wanted the best for us, you know. Yeah, that, I mean, that's very much the, the immigrant story, right? Like you mm. want to assimilate so that your kids don't feel like outsiders but the thing is that they don't, I don't think they realize, because that's a very much experience in my family too, is that we're going to be kind of on the outside regardless, yeah. because we are, like, you're not going to trick people into thinking we're not like everybody else. And so I, I, I would hope, like, now mixed generations would actually still expose their children to both so that they have the chance to figure out where they fit the most. But yeah. um, same with my family. Like, they, and in fact, the American military had made my grandmother take um, what they call American domesticity classes, but what we call yellow bride classes. If you were um, an Asian wife, they made you take classes to learn how to cook American food, speak English. Um, They would tell you, like, don't teach your kids Japanese because you'll confuse them. They like their brains can't function in multiple languages, which is insane because like there's my grandmother literally existing in two languages and yet they're telling her that that'll mess up their brain development. 
Um, and so she was adamant about not te teaching her children Japanese, and that extended to my generation so that by the time I come around, I'm begging to learn. My grandmother is still not explaining why she doesn't. So I, I, it does make sense. It doesn't mean that it's not frustrating or, or that it doesn't kind of make it a little difficult for you, but I get it. I also feel like it was also a bit partly my fault as sort of a child growing up. I was so like, I don't want to learn stuff. Like, sure, yeah. Like all the other kids don't like um so i actually did a little bit of japanese learning we did this thing called kumon which mm, i remember that yeah they normally they teach i think they just teach english and maths mm -hmm. but the kumon near me taught japanese as well so i did sort of like basic hiragana and yeah. stuff like that but i remember like hating it because it was like you know it was after school and i was like no i want to play it's like, I don't extra wanna... right yeah yeah so it was sort of like, I didn't know as a kid, like, I was so oblivious to it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's a big part of kind of like what we were talking about earlier, too, is that um, that thing of where, like, you, I mean, how can you be responsible for you being, you're a child and everybody's doing something else? Why would you want to stand out? So it makes sense that you would be resistant to it, right? And yet at the same time, as you get older, you're like, oh, man, it would have been so much easier if I'd known this when I was younger, but you're as a kid, how, how are you going to know? It, it, it's, it's such an unfair, um, like hindsight responsibility to put on yourself, mm. you know? Um, and that being said, at the same time, your parents are doing the same thing. They like, they want you to feel regular and you're not mm. going to feel regular compared to the way the other kids feel regular. It's just tough. Like, it's really tough. I, I also, I had like, um, young adult late teenager anger about not being exposed to enough Japanese and I mean I was exposed enough that I have like the vowel sounds correctly I can I can sound like I can speak Japanese well right um whereas like my husband can't make do or tsu sounds you know like that kind of, right um like so I know like because of hearing it I have this ability to to pick it up a little bit better that being said my vocabulary is really small. My my understanding of sex, sentence structure is painful. Like mm -hmm. it's really painful to try to figure out. So it's tough. Like I I I get all of the things. That being said, it would really be nice to yeah. have been able to to do it if they figured yeah. out a way to do it in a way that didn't make you feel like you stood out so much. But I actually so in my secondary school, we actually taught Japanese as a second language no third mm. language mm. so you have to do french mm -hmm. and then you can pick german spanish or japanese which really random i don't know it why is random japanese. i mean yeah. even like chinese is like they were like they, they still had hong kong back then so like yeah. it seems weird that that wouldn't have been the option but it's cool yeah it was really cool um <laughs> so obviously my mom put me in that class and so I did learn Japanese through that, but I felt like I was learning it as an English person sure, with yeah. everyone else. Um, there was actually another half Japanese girl in that class, and she could speak Japanese. So it was sort um, of like I was the the not good Japanese one. Yeah, just where she was one, the one more student. level of not feeling yeah. enough. Yeah. Does um did you grow up with any kind of like cultural things like I, I understand them not you speaking Japanese but like at home did you 
did you eat Japanese food? Did you get did did you get to participate in some of the matsuris and stuff like that? Um yeah, so we did have like my mum did sort of teach me about the culture and like obviously the food, the amazing food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, we still have like traditional Japanese uh, New Year's food. Yeah, New Year's is the big yeah. one for me too. I love it. really good. <laughs> um but she also cooks like really good English food. Like she's just a good cook. <laughs> oh, nice. It's so weird because I always think this is like you don't really know your parents as like people, right? You know your parents as your parents and so I I don't know if you've had many conversations with her about like what it was like for her to try to be transitionally becoming British on the, you know, through marriage and and mm. for the as a mother, I guess too. Um but still like trying to maintain like who she was for such a long part of her life until yeah. until she moved to England. Do you know at all anything a little bit about how she I don't I don't even know what the question I'm asking. Like I don't want to assume struggle, but like, you know, you kinda do yeah. like think that people struggle in that transition period. Yes, I'm I'm not really sure. We sort of don't really talk about it. I feel like I don't really know much. I don't really actually know much about my mum's side at all really like mm-hmm. I'm sort of learning now like but I feel like a lot of it is kept but I don't know well I mean culturally Japanese are really secretive people um, yeah. many a times like my grandma would say like don't tell don't talk outside of the family about yeah. whatever and it would be like you couldn't even tell her own sister or her own mother something which is yeah. like the big one was that my brother and I had a black father so we couldn't tell the Japanese side of the family that we were black. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, and she'd specifically say, like, don't tell anybody outside of the family. And it's like, are they not family? Like, I didn't understand that they didn't count as family. Yeah. They were relatives, not family. And yeah. I didn't understand that. Like, no one explains it well enough. They just tell you, like, you're not supposed to say this and stuff like that. So yeah. it's hard. And also being from specifically a very assimilating type of culture, they just wanted to be Americans when they came over. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's something that your mom might have had as well. It's just like, I left Japan. I'm not Japanese anymore. I'm this new thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it makes it tough, like especially as it, like any curiosity that you may have had as a kid might have been dismissed because they were becoming, you know, British instead of mm-hmm. American. Or, I mean, instead of Japanese and stuff. Mm-hmm. Very possible. How do you feel, you said when we, when we got to talking earlier, you were saying how you, you feel like you had only lately started to sort of investigate yourself as a mixed person. And I feel like maybe implied that like you were kind of existing in sort of this like foggy white space versus mm-hmm. necessarily a mixed Japanese and, and white person. What hit, what hit? to make you feel like you needed to start interrogating that for yourself? Um, well, I just, you know, I grew up in a white town. Like, most of the family that I knew were white because of my dad's side. And, you know, I just sort of felt, and also, like, every little, when I would talk about being Japanese to, like, my friends and stuff growing up, it was sort of, like, sort of a joke or, like, just sort of a fun fact about me. mm there was nothing more, and I always felt like, 
They're not ordered. Like it's just one of Vicky's quirks or something like that. Like yeah, it's to like mention um, that you're Japanese on occasion. You know when you like go to a new class or something. It's like t- tell one fun fact about you. Mine is always I'm half Japanese. Oh like, my gosh, that triggers so many memories of me I'm doing so that. Sorry. Oh, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yeah. It was always like name three things about you. It's like I'm mixed black Japanese and British. My grandmother's from Japan. My other grandma's from England. Oh my God, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, it is It is kind of a fun fact about you as you're growing up. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I guess I, I would tell people I'm half Japanese, but other than that, it was, that's it. Just, yeah. Was it, did you feel like people just didn't want to address it because they thought it was awkward or, or it was just like not important necessarily yeah. to others? I think it was just not important. Like, you know, they, saw me as just like okay I don't know like everyone else was white around me it was mm. sort of like okay but you're half white so just so just talk about that yeah yeah it's like I'm not going to relate to anything like we don't I don't know how to say it like without insulting I don't think you have to be worried about that honestly I mean the thing is your experience is your experience right mm-hmm. and um you know, it's the ignorance on the part of other people that are, say, monoracial or monocultural, where they can't imagine that you have reason to need to access the other culture, right? Because they don't have a version of that. And so it's just like, like, us as mixed people specifically, but I think all non-white people kind of experience something like that if they live in a place where not everybody looks like them, is that you you just are not like the other people around you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say that I'm the different one. I want to say everybody else is different to me because I'm the person that lives with myself, right? So, mm-hmm. like, you know that there's something that separates you from the other folks, but that you should have to adapt to their comfort versus mm-hmm. you just existing how you exist. And so for them to not have a version of that, that they can put into any terms that make sense. Like they'll just, it's just easier for you not to address it. Cause then they don't have to address it. And there's more of them than there are of you. Mm. Um, so I'm not concerned anymore about offending the monoracial monocultural people. If I just address the fact that they were ignorant or negligent or whatever about it or dismissive even you, but I also know like, it's also very British to be like polite and shit like that. So it's like, it's fine. Mm. But feel feel free. You're on a mixed podcast. You That's can go true, ahead and yeah. say what you want to say. <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting because um, I was actually introduced. So this is going to sound really nerdy, but I'm I love anime. That's not um, that's not super nerdy. You're you're in company. Okay. But like, I remember getting into anime like around like fourteen or something. And it was sort of like, that was sort of the start, sadly. But like it was sort of like, you know, suddenly my friends were like, whoa, this is this cool Japanese thing. Like, you're half Japanese. Like, it's cool anime. Let's watch oh, it was like a weird little badge of honor yeah. or something that you got because you were, I understand that. I also had that growing up too. So, it also makes sense yeah. that you attach to it at that age because like that's the age you're trying to figure out what your identity is. So yeah. for you to like get interested in it and associate it with your heritage yeah. as well, that makes sense to me. So I went full anime nerd. <laughs> like I still have like the plushies and mm-hmm. I, 
they dressed up as Hatsune Miku when I was like for like my first Comic Con I remember mm. like I went full because it was like this was my thing that like was like uniquely well it's not like because obviously other people liked it but it was sort of like people people used to say to me like oh you're not nerdy because you're half Japanese a hundred percent the same thing like I grew up in a black hood and me being mixed wasn't really a deal it was like you're just black it's fine and it wasn't in an erasure kind of way it was in like a your family you're one of us kind of way but whenever but like I couldn't talk about being a comic book nerd because black people couldn't be nerds but because I was part Japanese I could watch anime and be an anime nerd and people would be be like it's fine she's part Japanese so it was like yeah you weren't a nerd you were just doing something from your culture yeah. And because you didn't grow up solely in that culture, you feel like you're accessing it, you know, kind of like you were saying, Japanese, right? Like you were accessing it as an English speaker. As an anime fan, like you're accessing it as a British kid, probably. Yeah. But you just happen to also be Japanese. Yeah. So I think people sort of saw that and was like, I think it sort of made me feel special in a way. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I have more access to this thing than yeah. the rest of the people do. I, I, I definitely had that feeling about it. The other part, too, is that I got a lot of my anime, like, from Japan. So I yeah. wasn't watching it in English. I was watching it in Japanese and, you know, subtitles. But still, like, I felt, you know, like, a little bit more, yeah. like, I could access it more than than like the other kids that were trying to get into it too like i remember bringing like a bento box to school in like secondary school and all my friends were like whoa that looks like you know they see that from anime but they obviously can't they obviously now you can get a bento box anywhere but yeah but they're not gonna make them they're not gonna do the right thing they're gonna put right their food in a bento box we would have yeah Oh, I, I love showing up to school with Japanese food <laughs> yeah. and everybody else having, you know, whatever food that they had. And it was just like, I got to have my little fancy bento. I loved doing that growing yeah. up. <laughs> but also, like, there was this other part of me that I still felt. So I, I have imposter syndrome, if you haven't guessed. <laughs> and um, I remember I had this friend and she would joke about we would sort of be like in competition with like how much we liked anime and mm. eventually like she would say things like oh i'm basically more japanese than you oh i hate this and i remember once she bought miso soup in like a flask oh my goodness was quite <laughs> interesting but yeah it was sort of like even then i had this badge of honor you know you would say like it still wasn't enough it was still I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, no, I think that, man, that is such a mixed kid thing, too. Like, again, you know, I said to you earlier, like, you know, we're taught that we're halves or we're quarters that we're, you know, we're taught like we're less. But when you really think about it, we're literally more things than other people. So why do we not take on the more part of it? Why do we why do we allow others to tell us that we're less than to the degree that someone who's not even. Japanese like even mixed Japanese would say to you like I'm more Japanese than you it's funny because one time my grandmother told my now husband but at the time my boyfriend that uh because he ate something she made at New Year's that I didn't want to eat and so she said he's more that Japanese than you 
So we've been married now 20, will be 23 years in February. And he will still remind me that my mm. grandmother one time told me he was more Japanese than me. He'll be like, well, I'm more Japanese than you. So blah, blah, blah. You know, and knowing it as a more of a joke now at the time was really hurtful because yeah. like part of me was like the reason why I'm not more Japanese is because of you. Like you didn't mm. teach me Japanese. You didn't make me eat these foods. Like, da, da. and so for this outsider, like a legitimate outsider to come in and, and just like the food without any effort um, was, was upsetting to me. Yeah. Now I can handle it. But back then it was like so upsetting to me to think that like, I couldn't even access Japanese stuff, like that the person who had the tools to make me more Japanese yeah. didn't and then criticized me for it is what I felt like was happening at the time. But when an outsider does it, you're like, yeah. the fact that it impacts us, you know, the fact that we allow the, those outsiders to convince us that we aren't enough of or that we don't access, that we don't have as much access to it as they are. The other part is like white people just, have access you know to spaces they just occupy spaces they don't even have to think about it and they don't have to ask for permission whereas we're literally from this culture but because we're like removed to a degree diluted mm -hmm. from it somehow we still have to ask permission to access it in a way that they don't have to and that just baffles me so in that case i would want to tell you like well then channel your white side occupy the space you know move forward with the unearned confidence that like mediocre white people can can right mm -hmm. but then at the same time you're still a japanese person and and more than that like as a femme or a woman or a girl you're like literally taught to be smaller mm -hmm. and so you try not to take up the space is really i think it's a lot more complicated as a mixed japanese um person and maybe this extends to east asians or other asians but since we're both japanese I'll say that, like, to make that effort, how how difficult it is to make that effort when our culture actually does teach us not to. And even though we are mixed and our families were trying to assimilate more, they still are a product of the things that they were taught. So they're still teaching you those things too, mm -hmm. right? Accidentally uh, or, or subconsciously maybe even. Um, so, like, you're learning to be smaller subconsciously or something and then you're sitting there actually just being like but can I get permission yeah. to be in this space it's so tough it take and it takes so long for you to realize you don't need anybody's permission but your own um and I can hear it in your voice you you haven't granted yourself permission all the way yet you're just yeah. kind of like dipping your toe in a little bit yeah like um, even you know with this documentary I had to sort of wait till I'm like, oh, I have this idea, but, you know, and then I have to wait to people be like, oh, that's a good idea. You should carry on. I'm like, okay, now I will. And right. Like, yeah. Even now I'm like, I've got some people interested in it and like, I've met so many people and I have such like interesting stories. I'm still a bit scared of like, but I need to like get approval first. But I'm like, whose approval? Like, whose approval? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny how certain we are that we need outside approval yeah. and so uncertain we are who is that person that grants us that permission. Um, inadvertently, I've accidentally become one of those people for some people, you know, because 
I have a podcast about being mixed, there's a lot of times where I get messages where someone will ask me, like, do I get to claim mixed because my grandfather was this and my parents are this, but like I grew up around my grandfather. So do I get to claim it? And it's not for me to grant people permission. And yet I feel like if I don't, because they listen to the show or because they've, they've assigned to me some sort of authority because I have a podcast that if I don't grant them that permission, they won't try to access it or they won't feel. So it's this weird thing. And you might find that happens too, after your, your documentary happens. But what I think is great about you doing a project like this, it is that it will eventually have use for other people is great. But what's more important to me is that you are going to incrementally gain more confidence and take up more space. Or I guess, like I said earlier, maybe not take up space, but owning the space you already occupy. That like reframing. I mean, you see, like even I'm working on that right now. Like I literally have been militantly mixed. I'm, I'm the mixed podcaster ahead of a lot of these other shows that exist now. And yet I still have to like learn how to speak in a more positive or um, empowering way. So like just giving yourself permission to occupy the space that you're already in uh, versus thinking that you're taking someone else's space. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what that does for you because I just know from experience that it worked for me and I'm assuming it's gonna, it's gonna work for you as you get more stories in. Um, when you first put up the post about looking for Japanese British, um, you know, people, mm-hmm. did you anticipate that you were going to get any responses, let alone how much you got? Um, I didn't think I was going to get any responses. Like, like obviously, as soon as I posted it, I was like, okay, no one's going to reply. Like, <laughs> I should give up. No one's replied, but. After it's like been two seconds and nobody yeah. has said anything. <laughs> it's a sign. I should just give up. <laughs> but like, people started coming in and like, even they'd be like, oh, I'm interested, but some people would like share a bit of their story with mm-hmm. the message and it's quite inspiring. Like, I mm-hmm. never really thought about it. Like, all these other people that... And um, so through this, just this post, I've joined so many like, um, half Japanese groups. Nice. A lot of um, groups of calling says halfus, so like half mm-hmm. Hafu, yeah. like halfu groups, halfu London, halfu UK. You know, yeah. it's like lots of different groups and lots of people I've met, and it's like I wouldn't have met these people without mm-hmm. this one post that I didn't think would even reach anyone. It's and it's so crazy. amazing because, like, whether you believe this about yourself or not, you took a step for yourself, like. Mm-hmm. You're framing it like it's because of the project, but it's really about you and what was missing for you that you needed to access. And now you're going to get that access and you're going to develop those relationships, which is, yeah, I just know will be amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited for that. I'm, I'm glad. I'm really glad. Well, for me, like I told you, like I saw it and I got excited. I saw it third party because it was a different mixed organization that had shared yeah. your post. But what was so exciting for me was that I didn't even realize I wasn't connecting to Japanese British people. Like, I didn't make that connection. Like, I knew, I know that I have access to mixed black people. I know that I have access to mixed Asian people. 
And I know I have a very small access to mixed black and Asian people, which is more of an ident- you know, more of the way that I identify. But I didn't make the connection that, like, as much as I like to tell people, you know, my white is British white. It's very different than the white around where I live here in the States and stuff like that. I don't access white people here. The white people I know are British, you know, like the white people I grew up around, the white people I, my family are British. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, my goodness, I never even made that connection. So it was it was kind of self, it was like a selfish need on my part to even reach out to you. Because I really just wanted to, you know, I make the joke about how I'm collecting all of the mixed people that I can. And it was just like, oh, I don't have a Japanese Brit yet. You know, like that was literally what I thought. It was like, I don't have one of you yet. And so I want, I wanted to reach out. But I also wanted to see what, like, and the, and the purely selfish aspect of this show, which I do make jokes that part of the show is very selfish on my part because I'm just wanting to meet mixed people. The part of the selfish thing about it was I wanted to see This is very telling. I want to see how British I am yeah. through other British people because I grew up here in the States and I do have a, um, like a bit of a complex about mm. like, it's so important to me that people know that my, my white is British and not American, mm. you know? And so uh, having grown up with a British woman in my house, I want to know like what got in. So it's so part of the why. That's kind of interesting because... I sort of like telling people that, um, so I, I did have an American passport, but it's expired. Oh, <laughs> I don't okay. think I'm going to get a new one, but <laughs> like, I like to tell people like, oh, I've got an American passport. Oh, I'm like my dad. So he actually became an American citizen mm. when he lived in America. So I'm like, oh, technically I'm American. It's oh, like, so funny. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that you like to tell, like, you're really like proud to be British and well, like that sort of British side. Yeah. Well, I like I'm like part of me is sort of like irritated that I didn't get the dual citizenship and and my dad didn't have the dual citizenship either. But like he literally could have all he had to do was fill out a couple papers when I was a kid. It would have made this process Mm -hmm. a lot easier. And so um, uh, in in the next uh, four months, I'm actually moving to Mexico because I want to I want to live abroad for a little while and I I, um, or maybe forever because I'm not I'm not in love with my country (laughs) that I was born in. Um, but in the process of doing that, like, I really want to get my dual citizenship to, to the UK because I can't get dual citizenship to Japan. Um, you know, they don't give it out very many times and I only know one person who actually does have it. And it's because like literally the second they were born, their dad got on a plane, went back to Japan and filed their paperwork so that they have the the dual citizenship. Um, so like part of me, I really want to get my British passport um mostly so that i can god how do i say this this is i feel like it's such a problematic stance for me to have but as a brown person i don't exist in many places in which i'm fully privileged although i understand that i growing up in america i have a certain amount of privilege i also understand that um being light-skinned versus what i could have been as darker skinned there is some privilege in that and stuff but like in the way that that white people just sort of own privilege with very little mm-hmm. effort, a version of me capturing some of that or like taking it back, I guess, in a way, is to get that acknowledgement of British citizenship to say that like of the two West biggest Western powers that mm-hmm. exist, 
I am both of those things, I guess. Um, because I also explain like the way I identify. So I have, I always say I have different ways that I identify, like the way I identify ethnically, culturally, politically, etc. Like it goes down. Um, and, and so like part of my, um, one of the ways that I describe myself is a black Japanese British American. So while I know that specifically I am not British because I was not born in Britain and I do not hold that citizenship, the white that I have is from there. And so, and, and directly from there, not like from the 1700s, like my other side of the family, but you know, my nan is from there. Um, and I'm influenced by that because she grew up in my house or I grew up in with her living with us and stuff. So yeah, I, it's a weird thing. Like it's a, it's a sense of, um, I guess kind of taking up space, taking up white mm -hmm. space or taking yeah. space from white people, I guess, to a degree, because while I am technically half white, I'll never exist as a white person. I'll never get to maneuver as a white person yeah. and I'll never be treated as a white person, which is what is so fascinating about speaking to a lot of uh, white Asian mixed people like yourself. Mm -hmm. You said before, I think before we were recording um, the thing about like, just kind of thinking of yourself as white to a degree because like yeah. you grew up in Britain, you grew up around white people. Uh, you don't have as many Japanese re relations as, as you could. And so do you get to make that claim? Like, am I Japanese? Yeah. Do I get to? And the other part is specifically with Japanese culture versus anything is that they don't think you're Japanese if you're outside of Japan. Yeah. So even like my grandmother from Japan is no longer Japanese because she chose to become an American. And, and so like psychologically what it means to be Japanese to her versus what it means to be Japanese to me is a lot different. Yeah. Whereas I assume that is the case for you and your mother as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, like um, my mom actually, so we, we visited Japan like a few years ago, well, quite a long time now, but she, I remember her telling me, I've always remembered this, but she said, I feel like a tourist here and we were in Tokyo and she's from Tokyo. Yes. Yes. Grew yeah. up in Tokyo. And it, it just felt like, well, like we're finally in like your in country. Your like, country. <laughs> like I finally feel like, Oh, like, I don't know. It just, it baffled me. <laughs> it's, it is funny. Um, I, I, I get that also from my grandmother where she's like, I would say I'm Japanese and she's like, you're not Japanese. And, and I'd be so hurt because I thought she was saying, like, I'm not part of her. Mm -hmm. But what she was saying is that I left Japan. I sacrificed mm -hmm. my Japanese citizenship, really, to become American. So why do you think you're Japanese? You know, she's not thinking about it ethnically or culturally. But also, however many years of removal from Japan, I imagine you do just kind of lose mm -hmm. stuff. Um and when I think about, like, if my grandma were to go back to Japan today, the last time she lived in Japan was in the 50s. Mm -hmm. So Japan would be so different yeah. for her now. And in fact, and I can tell because I have a Japanese tutor who's from Japan, and we meet on Zoom, and she'll say, like, she'll laugh sometimes because she said, you have such an old lady, like, way of talking. Mm -hmm. Like, my the Japanese I know is from world war ii era japan because my grandma's japanese never adjusted to the times yeah. because she became an american right so your mom might have some version of that too or like if she hasn't been in japan for 20 or 30 years or something 
the culture has drastically shifted by now. So you, it makes sense why she would say something like that. And yet you don't have that content. You, you can't see that because you're just like, you look like everybody here. Yeah. Of course, this is who you are. Yeah. It takes, it takes age to start to see like why they feel so different. Gosh, I wonder where they feel at home then, too. Because, like, I know my grandmother has now lived in the United States longer than she ever lived in Japan. But does she feel like a proper American? I don't even feel like a proper American. Like, I don't feel, I said to you earlier, like, I don't feel American until I leave the country. Because that's when the people from the other country I'm in will tell me I'm American. If I'm in France, if I'm in England, if I'm in Canada, they'll tell me. They tell me I'm American. And I'll be like, what? No. <laughs> I don't know. I think my me and my mum, we would sometimes joke how like my mum is so British, but she's obviously like she's not British, but yeah, you know she'll watch Bake Off. She like <laughs> she makes the best roast dinner. You know, like it's nice. just little things. It, I always joke about it. It's yeah, it's quite interesting. I think I don't know how she would think like mm. living in England. So she's lived in England around twenty five years now. Mm. So. Do you have any intention in your documentary? I know I know that we talked about that thing that my grandma also does where it's like you kind of start talking about your culture and they're like, you don't need to do this. It's, yeah. you know, because it, it kind of feels hurtful to them because they don't understand what you're experiencing. Um, do you think your documentary may include aspects of like either your mom or other people who immigrated to the U.K.? And had mixed children? I was thinking that. Um, I have actually had some people who are fully Japanese and they, like recently come to the UK in like the last like five years and they're now having children and the children will, are mixed race. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see their story. But I think, I don't know, I would, I want to focus on sort of the mixed race story because sure. I think there's so much in that oh, and absolutely. everyone has different stories like my because st- i i don't speak japanese and i feel like that's such a big part of japanese culture and like mm. a lot of like half japanese people i've met who i've been talking to a lot of them do speak japanese and their sort of stories are so different and i've met people who actually grew up like half of their lives in japan and then moved to england so it'd be yeah it's interesting do you have any desire to spend some time in Japan just to see how you would access it? I I do, but also I think it's also, you know, talk about taking up space. It's, I'm a bit scared. I understand say. that. Like, uh, there's actually this film I watched recently called Hafu. Oh, I know them. Yeah. The, I think, I think she's Australian, the girl who like moved to Japan. Yeah, there was one that was Australian. Um, and she's half yeah. Australian, but like, I guess ethnically she's half Japanese and half Australian, but yeah. citizen-wise, she's Australian. And, like, I, I wanted to do something similar, like move there to like, learn the language, sort of mm. learn the culture, but I just, you know, I don't speak the language I don't really, like, uh, my grandparents, they sort of live in, like, small apartments. I won't have, like, a family to go to, in a way. Mm. And I don't have friends there. It's sort of like, 
I'm going to be, I, I feel like I'm just going to be an outsider there, even though I'm by blood, I guess. I'm, right. You know. And I mean, I think I, so this is something I also want to do. I want to spend some time. Uh, so as, as it stands, I've only been in terms of my ethnic and cultural heritage. I've only ever been to England. I haven't been to Japan yet. And my African ancestry, although I am a product of the African transatlantic slave trade here in the United States. I've discovered that the country or the place that my ancestors were kidnapped from is now Gabon. It it wasn't back then, but it is now Gabon. And um, I would like to go there to spend some time to see if there is any physical connection because uh, an experience I had in, in England I, that I had not anticipated because I've always identified very strongly with my black and Japanese side is um, there was a point at which we were heading in the direction of um, of Stonehenge. You know, got to do the tourist thing, right? And there was a, a, a place that we were at, we were driving. My cousin's the one driving. And I, like, bolt straight up. Like, I physically had a reaction to the location that we were just driving through mm-hmm. on the freeway. And um, and I said, are we from here? And he, and, he go, and he goes, England? And I was like, no, 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 like, here. This, wherever we're at, like, the closest town whatever the land are we from this part he's like i don't know he's like we could have like we could be from everywhere you know um and he's like why like because it was because i was basically just like sitting you know driving and driving then all of a sudden i was just like whoa because i i had this weird feeling of familiarity all of a sudden like like this was home in a really weird way it made me very uncomfortable because i don't i i kind of in so much as I want to see how British I am, I don't want to find out how white I am. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, like, the fact that I felt at home in that location, not really understanding wh- why I felt that way, made me really uncomfortable. So later, when I get home to the States, I go and check a map, and I, I know whereabouts we were and stuff like that. And then I look, and it is, like, if my ancestors that were coming from Wales were traversing into England they would have been there that would have been where they would have crossed mm-hmm. over right so maybe they put down roots there for a little while and may- and maybe I felt a sense of a, like gener- genetic familiarity to a location mm-hmm. because my people probably were there for a weird period of time because um, I'm not a person who believes in like ghosts or gods mm-hmm. or any of that kind of stuff but I do believe in like genetic connections to mm-hmm. like where you like if you lived at a place that that would pass on through your family and things would feel familiar and so I I, it got really weird like I felt like that's probably a place I want to spend some time in in the future I want to see if I have some kind of connection to that area and I've researched the that side of the family a little bit and I, I know generally they would have had to clear that area to make their way into London eventually which is what they eventually did but it took hundreds of years for that to happen so I feel like I want that experience on the Japanese side. I want that experience on the African side. I want to be able to see if I have those connections. Um, and then, of course, like I said, I want to. I want. I want to get my my dual citizenship. So, in so much as you may feel like an outsider, which is valid, you are. You you grew up in Britain, but that you don't. That you wouldn't have permission from, whatever the universe, you know, like, whatever, the land, the people, whatever, that doesn't make as much sense to me as, like, 
if you don't reconnect, it'll be lost is kind of what I think. Right. So if you find a way to reconnect, then like what ancestry do you discover that you had? Like how historic, how historically significant in the Japanese side of the family could your ancestors have been, you know, things like that. That kind of stuff is interesting to me. It may not, it may not be interesting to you, but like in what you feel that you're missing sometimes you might gain even Mm. if you feel like you're an outsider the whole time. And I think it's fair that you could still feel like an outsider the whole time, right? Like, because you did grow up in a different country. Um, But that that that, that would mean that you don't... I don't know if I'm going to pick the right word here, but deserve. I'm going to say deserve. Like, that you wouldn't necessarily deserve access. Mm. I don't think that is the case. I think we deserve access. Just by nature of the fact that we are from Mm. there, too. We're just removed by however many generations of people have disappeared. And in my case and in your case, there's, well, in my case, it's two generations, but in your case, it's one generation that removes you from Japan. If you don't have access to Japan after only one generation, mm. I mean, you're like, if you choose to have children, your children will be two generations and yeah. maybe they'll get fascinated and they'll want, but they'll be like, well, my mom didn't have permission. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I think we're by nature as humans we're very nomadic we've spread all over the world so why not why not spread again um even if it is for a small period of time and maybe a year like that the Australian girl I think she did a whole year which was very difficult for her emotionally because you know you're away from home for a long time but that's a long time to choose to be an outsider you know um and it was hard for her I think but in your case like if you just chose to do three months or something like that you might find um like maybe you incremental, like you do three months and then maybe, or a month even, and then maybe the next time you go for a little bit longer. Um, I feel, I feel like that would get you in touch with something. Even if it's not like full cultural access, you might find some little nugget that you can connect to. Um, and which I've managed to do in different ways. Like I've managed to find these little nuggets that make me feel like I get to claim my Japanese-ness. I get to claim my Africanness, you know. Um, or my Britishness here. Uh, you just have to, like, I feel like you're the only person who can grant or take away permission. Yeah. And that's a tough thing. And maybe you're not there because you're at the start of your documentary journey mm-hmm. and your investigation. And maybe four years from now, like where I'm at, I've been doing this podcast for four and a half years. I've been talking to people Every person I talk to, I get a little bit stronger. I get a little bit more knowledge, even if their mix is not my mix. Um, you don't know. Like, I, I would just say don't close yourself off Yeah. to that possibility. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, because you don't know what, like, a beautiful thing you might learn about who your family was or who you might become because because of that little bit of, like, oh, I was this, you know. On my Japanese side, we're from two different samurai clans, and one of them is one of the biggest ones. And I feel something about that because my my grandmother was raised by her grandmother, who was the last generation of samurai class before the changeover. So she is very much like, even though she's removed by a generation, she is nurtured by the lessons and the values of that time period. And she's part of who raised me. And so I'm also nurtured and connected. So I have a connection back that 150 years just through my grandmother, right? You don't know. You, 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 might, you might really find something that you would be fun. Or maybe it's easier if you do it in a group 
it's kind of one of those things I do want to do is just like get a group of people together. It's like, hey, let's all culturally connect to our where we come from. And you know, that way we can support each other in those moments, but also um, get that access, even if it is just for a month or something. I think that would be important. Uh, but we are coming near to the end. I'm sorry that I like rambled oh, on. I just okay. I want to I want to empower, encourage you uh, yeah. to do that. But uh, what is something with 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 how you're accessing your mixedness now and this uh, effort that you're going to be putting yourself through going forward and mm-hmm. creating this documentary? Um, what is something that you actually love about being mixed? Um, I think it's just this journey I'm going on. I really like what I'm. Sorry, I, how do I say? I, I really like this journey that I'm started and like mm. going through now. Sort of learning new things about myself that I never thought were important, but they are. They're like part of me. Yeah. And what else? <laughs> you only need one. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm, I'm very new to this journey. And yeah. It's, you know, I spent most of my life hiding who I was in a way and like not hating but just not feeling comfortable myself yeah and it's like I should be embracing who I am and I think just do it creating this project is going to help me I think yeah I think it will too I um it's it's funny because depending on where like where you are in your journey I, I like to ask that question near the end because sometimes it's trauma for us, the experience of being mixed. And sometimes it's just like that feeling of discomfort, like mm-hmm. that you've gone this many years of your life being like in discomfort, just about like your identity and stuff that um, to find something positive, to find something good about it might be that next step to being a little bit more comfortable. Um, so I think like that's where you're at. You're at the start of that journey. And that's mm-hmm. like to me, as a as like a person who like lives in mixedness all the time it's exciting to see that start but it's a daunting task that you're about to enter on and there's going to be times it's going to be very difficult and times that um it might be even painful but i hope that you do grab on to the 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 exciting aspect of it which is that you're going to go from isolation to community in the process of what you're doing and i think community is very important in terms of um mental health, our self, our self-esteem. I think a lot of stuff is wrapped up in, into like, you know, the way outsiders do validate you by, by just existing and just being present. So I really hope that you do enjoy your journey and I hope that you like learn so much. And I'm looking forward to learning what the experience of, you know, existing as a mixed Japanese British person in Britain would be like. So I definitely want to be able to see it once it's, once it's come to completion. So why don't you tell everybody how to find you or the documentary or anything that you want to share? So the documentary is still in early stages. I'm mm-hmm. still sort of, to be honest, I'm just sort of having a personal journey. That's a good, good place to start. <laughs> yeah. And just sort of getting to know people first before I actually make something. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess my Instagram is at Vicky's Animation, V-I-C-K-Y-S Animation. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so if, even though I know that you've been hit with a, quite a big list of people to reach out, if people did want to reach out and participate in some way, that's that's how they, they could do that. Yeah. Know. So okay. just DM me and even if it, like, 
I just want to know more people's stories. Like, it's, yeah. it's the Pokemon effect. We just want to kill. <laughs> we just want to collect yeah. more mixed people. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Well, please keep me involved in some way. Like, keep me posted. Well, Let me know what's going yeah. on. I definitely want to to be of support in some way if I can. And then hopefully next time I make it to to England, I can reach out and, and meet up. There's like yeah, at this point, there's like about twelve people that have been on the show that I want to meet once I get back. The next yeah. time I haven't been back since 2014, I think it's been it's a while. Big group. I would love it. Yeah, that would be that would be amazing. All right, well, thank you so much for joining me for this show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast, produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the One. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.